Good morning. So glad you're here this morning. Why don't you grab your Bible? Let's open up to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. It's good to be back with you this morning, and uh, it's good for us to be together in God's Word today in Ephesians uh, chapter 2. My family, my extended family, is uh, a sports family. And um, when my extended family all used to live fairly close to each other, uh, my aunt and uncle and cousins and friends, we would all get together and we would watch hockey games together. And here's the thing, uh, my family, um, my extended family especially, we are very, very serious Toronto Maple Leafs fans. Yeah, amen? Amen, all right? I think there's probably more better things for us to get excited about, but all right. That's, that's okay. And uh, yeah, we love the Leafs. And, and so uh, back in the day when the Leafs were a really good team, so like think way, way back, like a long time ago, and um, we all got together at my aunt and uncle's house to watch playoff games. And, and uh, sometimes there could be up around like 20 people just packed into their living room and we'd be watching the games together. The problem though was that every once in a while, uh, somebody would come who was not part of our family, but a friend or whatever, they would come and, and they would cheer for the other team. So that was a real problem because like for that three-hour window or so that the game was on, they were like an outcast. Can I, can I just be honest with you? It's like unclean, right? And, and that was, it was all in good fun. But uh, for us, it didn't really matter who was playing our team. There was an instant rivalry, like right away. Teams were chosen, sides were taken, lines were drawn in the sand. Like this is the way it's going to be. And, and isn't it true that so much of life as we know it today is defined more by what divides us than what unites us. You notice that? We see it in kind of some silly ways within our culture. How about some of these? Maybe you've, you remember some of these up on the screen for you. Here's first one, Blue Jays, Yankees. Like baseball season starts this week, right? And Blue Jays and Yankees, boo Yankees, right? Boo Yankees all the way around, right? So that, now that I've sufficiently alienated all the Yankees fans in the room, let's, let's move on to this next one. How about this one? Coke and Pepsi, right? Like this one has existed. They're ready to duel it out right there. This one has existed really since like time began. Coke and Pepsi. How about this next one? Uh, Mac and PC, right? Remember those commercials with those two guys who would go at it with each other? Mac versus PC. Those of you who are like 20 years old or younger, you're like, what's a PC? (laughs) Exactly, right? Okay, how about this next one? Um, Conservative, liberal, for us here in this country and for our friends to the south, Republican, Democrat, and the reality is you can't turn on the news without seeing these four political parties in the news now every day, every day, all the time they're in the news. And uh, there's some kind of silly things that divide us within our culture, things that try and put up barriers uh, between us. There are also some very serious things that try and divide us within our culture. For example, uh, divisions based on gender. Divisions based on religion. Like just think back over the course of history and the number of wars that have been started just based on religion alone, based on an improper understanding of God and improper understanding of spirituality and religion and walls go up and wars begin and divisions based on economic status, divisions based on class in our culture. One of the most serious ways that our culture is divided and maybe perhaps one of the most evil ways that our culture is divided is by race. Racial division and discrimination of all kinds, regardless of the races being discriminated against, is wrong. It is evil. It is sinful. And 
And part of what we're going to see in our passage today is that the work of Jesus Christ to save us and to give us this brand new identity that Paul's been talking about since the very beginning of this letter to the Ephesians, um, this work of Christ is so powerful that it eliminates all of the barriers and all of the rivalries that divide us, and it brings us together into this one glorious family that we call the church. And so I've been praying this morning for this message and uh, praying that we will see together this morning just how important, how significant the church is, because I realize that some of you are, are coming here and you're here this morning, you've come from experiences in other churches in the past and they have not been healthy experiences. Uh, maybe you haven't had a very good experience and you've been maybe burned by something that somebody has said or something somebody has done and now maybe God has brought you here and, and you're here today and you haven't exactly jumped in with both feet yet and you kind of got one foot in and one foot out, and you're not really sure uh, what you should do or where you should go. Maybe some of you are here, and you've been here for a long time, and, and you're still in that position where you got one foot in and one foot out, and you keep asking yourself over and over, can I really trust these people? Like, am I just going to get burned again? And, and what do I do here? And at the same time, there's a trend that is going in our culture. It's tracking the wrong way among uh, people who say that they're Christians, uh, many people who identify as Christians come to church on average only twice a month. And more than 80% of people who say that they're Christians also say that they do not feel that it's necessary for them to be part of a church in order to thrive in their Christian life. You read stuff like that, you see stuff like that, and, and it just kind of feels sometimes like things are just trending in the wrong way. And so what I want to do this morning is I just want to show you from God's word this one simple reality. This is what we're going after this morning. God has reconciled us to himself and to each other so that we could be part of this glorious family called the church. God has reconciled himself, God has reconciled us to himself and to each other so that we could be part of this glorious family called the church. And so as we get into God's word this morning, I just want you to know right up front that I feel zero pressure at all right now to sell you on the beauty of Harvest Bible Chapel. Like zero, less than zero. I, I feel no pressure at all this morning to stand up here and sell you on this church. My job this morning is to stand up here and tell you about the beauty of Jesus. Because when you see the beauty of Jesus Christ, all of those other things begin to take their places. And so this morning, we're going to see the beauty of who Jesus is. We're going to see the beauty of what Jesus does and has done for us and trust that all of these other things are going to take their rightful place. Now, let's get into the text. Ephesians chapter 2, starting at verse 11. <clears throat> Paul writes, Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances 
that he might create in himself one new man in the place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit." So let's look together here this morning in this passage, three realities of who we are, okay? Three realities of who we are and then three responses for what it means for us right now, okay? So three realities of who we are based on what we just read in this text, which drive then three responses for us. So let's start here with this reality number one, we were once far away. We were once far away. And you can see that here from verse 11, that we were once far away from each other. Notice this again, verse 11. He says, Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. So there you see it right away. There's a division, right? There's a rivalry between these two groups of people. He's talking specifically about the division that exists between the Jews and the Gentiles. Now, he begins this section by saying in verse 11, Therefore, So that word, therefore, takes us back to what he has just said in verses 1 through 10 about us being dead in our sins, being made alive in Jesus Christ, and being set apart by God for the good works that he's created us to do. And now in verse 11, he's aiming right at the Gentile Christians, and he's saying, hey, listen, this now is what it means for you. This now is what verses 1 to 10 means for you. So the Jews, of course, are the people of God. They are the nation of Israel. And the Gentiles here are everyone else. So the Gentiles are everyone who is not Jewish. And the division between these two groups exists because one group is calling another group a name. There's a separation there. And it's happening because the Jews, who call themselves the circumcision, are calling the Gentiles the uncircumcision. Now, some of you are like, okay, time out. All these things, all these terms, all these labels going on, like you got Jew, you got Gentile, you got circumcision, you got uncircumcision. Can you just pause here and and explain this whole circumcision thing? No. Okay? Okay? It's a big fat no. Um, Let me just say this. If you have any questions about that, you can just send an email to kylehunter at harvestbranford.ca and and he'd be happy, like, question asked, question answered, right? So that kind of thing. No, I'm just kidding. I will say this, though. For the Jews, this was the issue. This was the issue in their mind that determined whether or not a person was accepted by God. If he was circumcised, then he was in with God. If he was not circumcised, then he was not in with God. Here's the problem. God never meant it to work like that. God had made a promise to Israel to be his chosen people, and circumcision would be the sign that they were physically set apart for God. The difficulty was that this was supposed to be an outward symbol of an inward reality within their heart, that their heart had been cut off from sin, you could say. 
Paul says in Romans 2 that the circumcision of the heart is what matters the most. It's what happens on the inside, not just what happens on the outside, but the religious Jews had lost sight of that. That's why he says at the end of verse 11, which is made in the flesh by hands. See, the outward ritual means nothing if it's not connected to the heart change it's meant to symbolize. But again, for the Jews, this had become a source of pride in themselves and a source of ridicule toward the Gentiles. And immediately we see here that they were far away from each other, that we were once far away from each other. Now, worse than us being far away from each other is what he says next here. Notice, we were also far away from God. Verse 12, he says, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. In other words, they had no hope of deliverance. Like, they had no hope in the Messiah because they weren't looking for the Messiah. They were only destined for judgment, and so they had no hope. They were separated from Christ. The problem doesn't stop there. He says that they were also alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. In other words, God had chosen a people to whom he would give his blessing and through whom that blessing would then flow to other people. But prior to Christ, they were completely shut out from any blessing at all from God of any kind. Furthermore, he goes on and says they were strangers to the covenants of promise. All of these special promises that God had made to Abraham and Moses and David and Jeremiah and specifically the promise that the Messiah would soon come. Like, they had no hope of any of these promises at all. They didn't know that these promises had even been made, let alone that this promise could actually be for them. Which, looking back then, leads them to the realization that they had no hope and finally they were without God in the world. See, you look at all of those descriptive phrases in verse 12, and all of those phrases are pointing us to one thing. They're pointing us back to God. They're pointing us to the reality that they were not just missing out on certain things, they were missing out on God. See, all of these terms in verse 12, these are terms of identity. And so Paul's getting to the heart right away, and and think about it for a second. What's the desire of our heart? desire of our heart is to belong, right? Like we just want to belong. We want to be in relationship. We want to be in community with each other. We want to be part of something that's so much bigger than us, something that gives us some sense of identity beyond ourselves, and that's what he's describing here. Like even the Jews wanted this as well. They were longing for that because they labeled people into two different categories. You're either circumcised and with us or you're not circumcised and you're not with us. And now, here we are, we can look all the way back to the very beginning, all the way back to the Garden of Eden, and see that one of the greatest desires that God has put within my heart and within your heart is the desire to know and to be known, like to find who we really are. So the Bible's teaching us here in Ephesians 2 that that your greatest hindrance to living in light, in the light of who you really are, Your greatest hindrance is not that you're missing out on the things that the world can give you. Okay, like pay such close attention to this. The greatest hindrance to you living in light of who you really are is that you're missing out on what God has made you for. That's the thing. Who we are in relationship to God. And he's saying... Paul's saying to these Gentile Christians in Ephesus, he's saying, hey, listen, listen, your greatest problem... He says to them, your greatest problem is not that you were not born Jewish. Like, your greatest problem is not that you didn't understand the covenants. 
And now he's saying to us as well, listen, your greatest problem is not that you were not born into a certain heritage. Your greatest problem is not that you were not born into a certain nationality. Your greatest problem is not that you don't have a better job or a stronger marriage or more knowledge about who God was before you gave your life to him. Your greatest problem prior to Jesus Christ is that you didn't know God. That's your greatest problem. See, your search to understand who you are will fail if you do not try to understand who you are in relationship to God. Your job can't define you. Your bank account can't define you. Your grades cannot define you. Other people approving or disapproving of you cannot define you. Your accomplishments, your finances, your good works, your heritage cannot define you. Your looks cannot define you. Your clothing cannot define you. Your weight cannot define you. Your church cannot define you. Nothing in this world can define you. Why? Because one day it's all going to fade away. One day, it's just all going to burn up, and the only thing that's going to matter in that final day is who you are in relationship to God. So he begins here, much like he did in the early part of chapter 2, by telling us that we were all once far away. But, isn't it just like God? That after telling us the bad news that we need to hear, he tells us the good news that we don't deserve. Isn't that so good? He says, not only were you once far away, but then notice this, number two, Jesus has since brought us near. Jesus has since brought us near. First of all, notice this, he has brought us near to God. So all those problems that we had in verse 12, remember? Separated, alienated, no hope, far away from God, without God in the world, remember that? All those problems in verse 12 have now been erased by Jesus. They've been covered over by Christ. Verse 13 He says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. One thing you'll notice through the the whole passage here is that um, there's a lot of temple imagery uh, in this passage. The reference to the blood is one of those images. Uh, The people, as you, you might know, would go to the temple and they would offer sacrifices to cover over their sins. The punishment would be put on the innocent animal, and the death of that animal paid the penalty for their sins. The blood was meant to cover over their sins, but the problem was the people would have to keep coming back over and over and over again and keep sacrificing because Hebrews 10 says that the blood of the animals was never enough. It was never enough to fully cover over the sins of the people, but now God has made a way. Jesus Christ has paid the price once for all for your sins and for my sins to bring us near to God. And much like it is in this passage, that's really the turning point within our lives, isn't it? Like this is the good news of the gospel. We were all sinners. Like we were all sinners separated from a holy God and deserving of his rightful wrath against us because of our sin. And because God is righteous and just, he can't just let our sin go like it never happened. He has to do something about it. He can't just let it go like it was never there. A penalty needed to be paid for our sin. And it should have been each one of us who were paying the penalty for our own sin that we had committed. But the good news is that while God is perfectly righteous and just, he is also perfectly loving and gracious. 
And so knowing that a penalty needed to be paid for our sin, God sends his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to take the entirety of our penalty for our sin upon himself. Even though Jesus never sinned, even though Jesus didn't deserve that penalty, out of a pure and perfect love for you and for me, Jesus came and he took our place on the cross where he died for our sins. Just think about the connection here. Just like the animals in the temple all those years ago, the punishment for our sins was put on the innocent lamb of God. And his death paid the price for us. His blood shed covered over our sins. So as 1 Peter 3 says, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. Notice what happens next. Not only are we brought near to God, but then we're also brought near to each other. Paul continues here in verse 14, and and he says, for he himself is our peace. Notice this, Jesus Christ is our peace. What does that mean? It means that because of Jesus Christ, we are at peace with God. You need to understand here that this word peace Um, is not just the absence of hostility. It also refers here to salvation and life as God intended it to be. Just think about that. Life as God intended it to be. You want peace? You want peace in your heart? You want peace in your life? We need to live as God intended us to live. That's really what God talks about all the way through his word. Old Testament, Micah 5, verse 5, prophesying of the Messiah that would one day come. Micah says, and he, referring to Jesus, and he shall be their peace. Isaiah 9, verse 6, verse that we often mention at Christmas time, says, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Romans 5, verse 1, Paul says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul says here that this peace is the foundation then for what brings us closer to each other. Notice what he says again, verse 14. He says, For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. So when he says, who has made us both one, he's talking here about Jews and Gentiles. He's talking about the division that exists between the two. It's interesting that if you were to walk into the temple in Paul's day, there was an actual wall of hostility. Like you could walk into the temple, there was an actual wall called the wall of hostility. And that wall of hostility was meant to prevent the Gentiles from going beyond a certain point within the temple. In fact, there were signs on that wall of hostility that warned the Gentiles that if they were to go beyond that certain point, then they would die. Like they were taking their life into their own hands. And verse 14 says that Jesus now has obliterated that relational wall. And notice how he does it, verse 14, in his flesh, meaning through his death on the cross. Jesus has brought us near to each other. As I was um, working through this passage this week, I couldn't help but think a little bit of my grandmother. Uh, she grew up on the border of Germany. She, was, uh, she would have been in probably her early 20s or so in the throes of World War II and lived to experience the dreadfulness of Nazi Germany. 
and the racial division, the discrimination. And as a young married woman, her and uh, my grandfather fled from the only life that they ever knew and they came to Canada and they basically started everything all over again. And I'll always remember uh, when I was a kid growing up and, and especially it was so much more clear as my grandmother was getting older and she died when she was uh, 98. And I'll, I'll never forget those, those last number of years in her life. Um, she always knew that this world, with all of its divisions and all of its, its hostilities, she knew that this world was not her home. And, and she lived and she died with the confidence, not only that Jesus was stronger than every hostility, but she lived and died with the confidence that Jesus is the only source of peace. He's the only one that brings us close to one another, and more importantly, he's the only one that brings us close to God. That's the legacy that she leaves for me and, and for our family. Verse 15 goes on, tells us Jesus, Jesus did this by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he, listen to this, that he might create in himself one new man in the place of the two, so making peace and, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Now, what does all that mean? The feasts and the sacrifices are no longer the main piece of what identifies the Jewish people anymore. That's what he's saying here. The, the feasts and the sacrifices and the ceremonial laws and all of those things are no longer the main piece of what identifies Jewish people anymore. Instead, by faith, they are now identified by Christ. Like, just think of this. All the things, like, let's, let's translate this to, to our day today, to our lives right now. Just think of all the things that we try and find our identity with. All the things that we try and even find our identity in Christ with. Like, like, we live our lives and we think sometimes, well, I've got to read my Bible, I've got to pray, I've got to go to church, I've got to give money, I've got to do this, I've got to do that, I've got to do all these traditions because that's the way it's always been and that's really the only thing that I've ever known. Like, I've got to do all of these things and, and sometimes those things can be good things, but listen, those things are not the identity-defining things any longer. Our identity is found in what Christ has done for us. And Paul says here that that's the power of the gospel. The gospel takes the Jewish people who have their own identity over here, the laws, the ceremonies, the sacrifices, all of those things. The gospel takes the Jewish people over there with their identity, and the gospel takes the Gentile people over here who have no identity, and by the gospel, we are brought together into one new creation with one common identity in Jesus Christ. That is the power of the gospel. That's the power of Jesus. So he goes on, verse 17, and he says, And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to you who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Now don't miss this. Don't miss this. This is true reconciliation. Like this here is true unity in Jesus Christ. Notice this, the full force of the Trinity of God is behind this. See this? Look at verse 18. Through Christ, so there's the Son. Through Christ, we both, Jews and Gentiles he's talking about here, through Christ, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Father, Son, Spirit. Through Christ, we have access 
Uh, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So this is the whole point. Our identity is no longer defined by what divides us. Our identity is now defined by what unites us. And what unites us is the one Savior who died for us. What unites us is the one spirit who lives inside of us. What unites us is the one father who loves us. And because of the work of father, son, and spirit, we are brought into this glorious family called the church, the family of God. We are here because we are united by Jesus Christ. Like just think about that. God takes Jews who have their identity over here. He takes Gentiles who have no identity over here, puts one and the same spirit in them by faith in Jesus Christ. And because of that common faith in Christ, because of that one spirit that lives in both, we each have access to the same Father. Awesome. <laughs> the power of Jesus. So listen, when your identity is found in Christ... And when my identity is found in Christ, that is the single greatest reality that brings all of us together. Okay? Everything else in our life, everything else in this world is subordinate to that. So race, nationality, heritage, language, age, gender, listen, marriage, family, or anything else in this world is no longer the single greatest reality that brings us together. We are brought together by Jesus Christ. So, so let's pull on this thread a little bit more and, and let's try and understand this in the context of, of our relationships right here, in our lives right here, right now. Any attempt to reconcile a marriage any attempt to reconcile a friendship or a partnership, any attempt to reconcile any relationship at all, to reconcile anything without grounding it in the hope of the gospel is a lost battle. Okay, you got to understand that. Any attempt to reconcile anything at all without grounding it in ground zero of the gospel of Jesus Christ, you are done before you begin. Why? Well, well, think about it. What, what is it that divides us? It's pride, right? It's the pride in our hearts. It's not just these simple issues that, they're not simple issues, they're complex issues, but it's not just these issues that we see on the surface. That's not just what divides us. What divides us ultimately is the pride within our hearts. And we need to see that real peace comes when pride dies. Like pride in accomplishments, Pride in status, pride in heritage, pride in abilities, pride in self, which is the ultimate definition of pride in the first place. Real peace with God, real peace with each other. When pride dies, peace will live again. Which actually leads us right into this third reality. We were once far away and, and Jesus has since brought us near but now see this, reality number three. We are now a united people. We are now a united people. And, and notice this first. We are united in the kingdom of God. Verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. So see what Paul's doing here. All of these problems that we had very back at, the, at the very beginning of this passage in verses 11 and 12. 
they're now being resolved because of Christ. Like we're citizens in God's kingdom. And you need to understand that there are no second-class citizens in the kingdom of God. Amen? Amen. Like we are citizens of heaven. That is amazing. Like we have kingdom privileges that are to be enjoyed. Yes and amen. Thank you, God. But we also have kingdom responsibilities to be embraced. Like I, I love this verse so much. Philippians 3, verse 20. Check this out. Paul says, but our citizenship is in what? It's in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. Listen, loved ones, your citizenship as a believer in Jesus Christ is not in this world. It's not in this life. It's not in the things of this life. It's not in the things of this world. So don't be chasing after the things of this world like that is your life because it's not your life because your citizenship as a believer in Jesus Christ is not in this world. Your citizenship is in heaven. And Paul goes on and says, and from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. That is beautiful, and, and we are not just united in the kingdom of God, but he goes on and he says this next, we're also united in the family of God. So he says here, we're members of the household of God. Like, we're family because we all have the same heavenly father. We have been adopted as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ. And listen, when you are in Christ, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what your nationality is. It doesn't matter what your race is. It doesn't matter what your background is because the Father makes no distinction between his children. So no matter who you are, in Christ, you are loved by the Father, you are cherished by the Father, you are accepted by the Father, and the Father delights in you. And when you understand that, only then will you understand not only that you belong, but you will also understand where you belong. You belong in the family. You belong in the family of God. And that's what our hearts crave, right? Like, that's what our heart really, really wants. We want the assurance that we belong. And Jesus has made a way for us to be part of something that is so much greater than anything that the world would ever be able to give us. Now, if that's not enough, he closes by saying, we are also united as the temple of God. So we're united in the kingdom of God, we're united in the family of God, we're also united as the temple of God. Verse 20, he says, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Now, for the Jews, the temple was a central piece of their identity. Right? It was part of, of who they were, and they were the people of God, and when they wanted to be in the presence of God, they would go to the temple of God because at the temple of God, they would see the glory of God. And so that was a central piece of who they were. But now, in the New Testament, Paul says to us that we are the temple of God. That as, as Christians, as followers of Christ, we are the temple of God, the temple of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 6, we have been bought with a price. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit of God. And as Christians, he says here in Ephesians 2 that we are being joined together into a holy temple in the Lord. 
a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. You know what he's talking about here? He's talking about the church. He's talking about us. He's talking about the family. He's talking about the temple of God. And and so Paul keeps pulling on this thread now about the temple and and this whole temple idea. And he says here that, that there's this foundation for the temple. And he says the foundation for the temple is the word of God. It's what the apostles and the prophets were proclaiming. And and then he says that Jesus Christ himself is the cornerstone. You might be familiar with the idea that the cornerstone was the most important stone in the entire building because every other part of the building finds its proper place based on the position of the cornerstone. If that cornerstone's not in the right place, then, then nothing else will be either. If Jesus is not in his rightful place in this church then nothing else will be either. And, and let's pull on that thread even just a little bit more, and that can apply to your life as well. It applies to my life too. That if Jesus Christ is not in his rightful place in my life or in your life, then nothing else will be either. Think for a minute about um, some of the most significant things within our lives that have the ability to capture our hearts almost right away. And, and you don't see this directly in this text, but, but by implication, think about some of the things in our lives that, where it matters that Christ is the cornerstone. Everything matters. But, but think for a minute about money, something that has the ability to capture our hearts so quickly and so easily and so powerfully. Like Think for a minute about the way that, that you save your money, the way that you spend your money, the way that you give your money. Think about how you think about your money. And incidentally, um, we realize, right, that it's not really our money, right? The earth is the Lord's and everything therein, right? It all belongs to him and it's his and he's just given it to us for a time to be stewards of it, but you get what I'm saying, right? Think about how you, how you give, how you save, how you spend. Think about how you think about money. Let me ask you, is how you think about your money built around the cornerstone of Jesus Christ within your life? Or has your money become the cornerstone of your life. Because the problem is that that when anything else becomes the cornerstone of our life and takes the rightful place that only Jesus himself deserves, then everything else in our life gets thrown out of whack. See, that's the thing about a cornerstone because a cornerstone was the first stone that's put down and the rest of the building finds its alignment from that cornerstone. So if the cornerstone is not there, if the cornerstone is not the right stone, then everything else will be out of alignment. And if you take your money, if you take anything else within your life and try to put it in the place where only Jesus belongs, then everything else in your life is going to be out of whack. It's going to be out of alignment. And you're going to be frustrated and you're going to be like, why is this happening and why won't this come together and why can't I figure this out and why is everything so tight and and why is it not working? It's because something else has taken the place of the cornerstone within your life. What are the priorities of your life like? What are you giving your life to? Are your priorities in your life built around the cornerstone of Jesus Christ? Think for a minute about how you spend your time. Like, at the end of the day, loved ones, he has given us one life to live. All of us. And the days are short, and the time is urgent. Am I really spending my life for the fame of Jesus Christ? Like, am I really living my life like Jesus Christ is my cornerstone, and everything else in my life finds its purpose from that? Or has something else been substituted into that place as the cornerstone? Because when that happens, 
Everything else is out of alignment too. See, this is so important, loved ones, so important, because notice what can happen. Like, just imagine, just imagine what can happen when all of these individual temples, all of us, all of these individual temples who have committed to Jesus Christ being the cornerstone of our lives, like, think about when all of these individual temples now, he says here, are being joined together. All of these individual temples with Christ as the cornerstone are being joined together and we grow into a holy temple in the Lord. Like, just imagine then what God could do with that. Just imagine what he could do through this church. Just imagine the lives changed, the glory given to God, the city and the region impacted for the glory of Jesus Christ because because individual temples within this church are committing to the cornerstone of Christ within our lives and then by the grace of Jesus himself, he's bringing all of these individual temples together as a holy temple in the Lord and it's his blessing, his power. Like when that happens, Jesus breathes his power into that and lives are changed. Churches are changed. Nations are changed for the glory of God. Like, can I just say, I love, I love that I get to be part of a church that wants its foundation to be the word of God. You thankful for that? Like, I am am so thankful that I get to be a part of a church that wants its cornerstone to be Jesus Christ. You have no idea how much that blesses my heart. And when those things remain constant, Jesus works through that. Listen, listen, loved ones, that is who we are. Do you get that? This is us. He says here, we were once far away. Jesus has since brought us near and now We are a united people. Those three realities then drive these three responses. I want you to see these three responses. Three ways to apply this message here. Here's the first. Number one, remember who you once were. Remember who you once were. Twice in verses 11 and 12, you can see it there in God's word. He says, remember. Remember, he's saying, don't ever forget. Okay, Don't ever lose sight of the reality of what you needed to be saved from. That were it not for the grace of God, you and I would be destined for eternal judgment, not even knowing it and not even caring about it. Like we wouldn't even know. Don't forget that you were once not reconciled to God. Don't forget that you were once not reconciled to each other. Don't forget that, that you once had no identity. You once had no belonging at all. You were once not a part of something that was so much bigger than you and gave your life purpose and meaning in Jesus Christ. Like, don't forget the reality of what you needed to be saved from, but then at the same time, don't forget the reality that you have been saved from it, which leads right next to the second response. Number two, rejoice in who we now are. So remember who you once were, and now rejoice in who we now are. This transformation is so radical that it brings us here into this family as the church. And Friends, we need to see this as a critical piece of our identity in Jesus Christ. We need to see this as a critical piece of who we are because the reality is we have a responsibility to each other and for each other. We need to understand, loved ones, that that church is not just a building we go to. Church is not an event that we attend. Church is a family to which we belong. Okay? Okay? 
This is who we are. Through thick and thin, through easy and hard, through up and down, we are family. We are here for each other. We give grace to each other. We forgive each other. Sometimes we speak hard but necessary words to each other. We are patient with each other. Why? Because we love each other. Are we a perfect family? Nope. Far from it. We are not perfect, but we are being perfected. And some of that perfecting work happens, verse 21, as Jesus, the cornerstone, puts all of the other stones of the building, that's you and me, into our proper places. Translation, every member in the family has responsibility in the household. Every member in the family, it's you, it's me, we have responsibility in this household. Like that day in our house, when our boys finally understood that it was their responsibility to take out the garbage on Sunday nights, like the angels sang at our house. Like, I hate taking out the garbage. Like, every Sunday I would forget. Like, I'm going to forget again today. It's just going to happen. But it was a beautiful day when our boys finally understood that. As part of the family, listen, you have kingdom privileges to enjoy. Yes and amen. Amen? Yes, thank you, Lord. We have kingdom privileges to enjoy, but we also have kingdom responsibilities to embrace. And that is true for every single one of us who are in Jesus Christ. So question, question. How are you serving in the family? What are the kingdom responsibilities that you're embracing within this family? Because there's a place for everyone. A place for everyone to serve. Like, like just think, just draw the comparison to what happens at home. Right, like if mom does all the work, and, and mom's doing the cooking, mom's doing the cleaning, mom's doing the organizing, mom's doing the planning, mom's doing the transportation, mom's doing this, mom's doing that, like she's doing everything. It's not long before mom's going to be curled up on the floor crying, right? But when dad starts to chip in and, and starts to do some things, and, and then little Johnny and little Sally come along, and they start doing their things too, and, and all of a sudden, everybody's carrying a little bit of the weight around the house, and, and all of a sudden, before you know it, mom's not laying on the floor anymore, man, because the family is healthy, and the family is thriving, and the family is in a good place, and the family is strong because everybody's doing their part. Everybody's picking up, and they're embracing their responsibility. So how are you serving in the family? Like when I do my part in the family, and you do your part in the family, and everyone does their part in the family, listen, loved ones, this family's going to be stronger. This family's going to be healthier. By God's grace, we... Keep our eyes fixed, not on just what we do, but on who we are in Christ. The thing is, if, if you miss out on this, then you miss out on a major part of what God has made you to be. Three responses. Remember who you once were, rejoice in who we now are, and then finally this, number three, reconcile with God and with one another. If you're here today and you don't have peace with God, then we invite you again today to trust in him. We invite you to be reconciled to him today through faith in Jesus Christ. Turn away from your sin, turn away from yourself and trust in Christ. The blood of Christ has been shed to bring you near to God. And that then becomes the basis for our reconciliation with each other. Like, friends, if, if we really understand this, then this should be mind-blowing to us. <laughs> you see this? The fact that God has rescued you from your sin and he has rescued me from my sin, no matter 
what the particular sins might be. And then he gives us a common identity within himself. That's amazing. Like, like that is what has reconciled us to God. And for us then to say that we understand that, but then refuse to reconcile with one another is a tragic misunderstanding of the gospel that has saved us. So where is it in your life that you need to be reconciled with someone else? Could it be that there's a husband and wife sitting here in this room right now? And this has been a bad week? It's been a bad month? It's been a bad year? It's been a really hard few years and and things are not in the places where they need to be and, and you both know it and came to church this morning but you didn't really want to and, and you're just kind of duking it out? Could it be that, that there's a husband here right now who needs to take the lead within that relationship and look to his wife and say, honey, I messed up and I am sorry. Please forgive me. When pride dies, peace lives again. Is it reconciliation with a family member, with a neighbor, a coworker? Reconciliation with somebody in your life. Maybe, maybe the first step for some is not reconciliation. Maybe for someone here today as a believer in Jesus Christ, the first step is not reconciliation, it's repentance. Maybe um, have you put up barriers between you and fellow citizens in the kingdom because of secondary things? because you've put up barriers based on age or gender or status or class or maybe even race. Like all sin, racial discrimination and division is offensive to the holiness of God. Regardless of a person's race, every person has been created in the image of God. And the color of our skin or the origin of our ethnicity land in a very distant second place to the reality that we have been created by God in his likeness and for his glory. Furthermore, Jesus died for every person of every nation, every tribe, every people, and every language. And then he poured out his spirit on every race of people on the day of Pentecost so that one day in the future, people of every nation and every tribe and every people and every language could all gather around the throne of the Lamb of God and lift up our voices in unison to sing the praise of his one holy name. So whatever it is in your life, that you need to be reconciled with those around you. Please, loved ones, I, I urge you, I exhort you in the name of Jesus, do not let this fall off your table. Don't let it go. And you're like, well, that's easy for you to say. You have no idea what's been done to me. And you know what? You might be right. I may not know what's been done to you, but I do know what has been done for you because it's been done for me too. So whatever it is that's causing division, we can't afford to be shallow in our understanding of what makes us united because the blood of Christ shed on the cross is anything but shallow and yet it is his blood that makes all of us, all of us, every single person in this room, it's his blood that makes us one in Christ.